At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Trump underperformed again. Biden overperformed again. The 538 poll of polls had Trump winning Michigan yesterday by 79 to 20 over Nikki Haley, a 59-point margin. But with 22% of the vote in, he was only up 66 to 29 over Haley, only a 37-point margin, and that had held like that for a while. The New York Times swingometer had predicted him finishing with a 69 to 27 win over Haley, a 42 point margin, and that kept dropping. Ultimately, Trump is not likely to have underperformed as badly in Michigan yesterday as he did in South Carolina and as he did in New Hampshire, but he has underperformed again. And 80 to 90 percent of the news media will position this as a Trump blowout, even though he underperformed by 17 points or 22 points, even though he is more vulnerable than he or anybody in that party lets on, and even though the chances are increasing, not decreasing, that his iron grip on what used to be the Republican Party will mean only uncontestable destruction at the polls in November. In the Michigan Democratic primary, it sure looks like the one outcome nobody predicted. Joe Biden did better than he was expected to, And the anti-Joe Biden, uncommitted Gaza protest vote did better than it was expected to as well. The last polling in Michigan showed Biden at about 77, but with 20 percent of the vote counted last night, he was at 79. There was not solid polling about the final uncommitted vote, but the Listen to Michigan group first predicted it would get 20,000 votes. Then it cut its prediction to 10,000 votes, a veteran move, as the kids say. But before 10 o'clock, it had cleared 27,000 votes, and that was about 15%. And that percentage seemed to be holding steady. Well, how in the hell did that happen? How did Biden do better and uncommitted do better? 
it looks like uncommitted took away more than half the votes that had been expected for self-flagellating challenger Dean Phillips and self-abnegating challenger Marianne Williamson. By 10 p.m., each of them was literally looking at a best-case scenario of 3% each. The political cognoscente could not decide what would constitute a rebuke to Joe Biden in Michigan and what would constitute merely run-of-the-mill Michigan independence and or stubbornness. What does 15% uncommitted in Michigan represent exactly? What's the contrast? In 2012, 11% voted uncommitted in Michigan instead of voting for a guy named Barack Obama. In 2008, with no Obama and no John Edwards on the ballot, 40% of Michigan Democrats voted uncommitted. 238,000 uncommitted votes in 2008. Politico claimed White House panic in advance about Michigan's uncommitted and the primary yesterday. They are freaking out, was the quote. And if there is one thing we know about Joe Biden and the people around him, it's that they don't freak out. They don't freak out when we need them to freak out, let alone about the primary in Michigan. If this finishes somewhere around where it was at 10 p.m., Biden at 79, 77, 80, uncommitted at 15, 17, 14, Williamson and Phillips just auditing the course, it will be, at worst for Joe Biden, a gentle and respectful rebuke. One the Biden campaign can respond to by saying, we hear you. And one the uncommitteds can say, good, we're talking. And of course, one wonders again how Joe Biden just happened to let his expectation of a ceasefire coming in Gaza by next Monday just slip into a viral video after his appearance on a talk show the night before this Michigan primary with this uncommitted anti-Gaza protest vote given he's so old and infirm and an albatross and a political liability. He overperformed again. I want to circle back to Michigan and the implications, more the political implications of Israel Hamas and yet another third rail, immigration, in a moment, because I want to think out loud in the most counterintuitive manners possible. But first, a logjam may actually have broken yesterday in the decade-long refusal of the legacy news industry to call Trump what he is. Racist, anti-American, authoritarian, fascist, crazy. And this is just about the first of those truths, that he is a racist. The president of ABC News, Kim Godwin, who has been lousy at the job and recently had another ultra-president of ABC News appointed as her boss, emailed some of her staff after Trump's amazing run of racist statements at what was called the Black Conservatives Federation Gala. This was last Saturday. She wrote to them by email, No matter one's politics, the fact that a person running for president of the United States made these remarks, period, but also to a public crowd and with so many black people present and that they stand with him is mind-blowing, shocking. These remarks are as racist as they come, unquote. Her email was obtained by Semaphore News and then by CNN. Well, they're not shocking, President Godwin. You just noticed them. If this were the movie Field of Dreams, you would be the brother-in-law, the Timothy Busfield character, who suddenly sees the game being played in the cornfield and says, 
where did all these baseball players come from? Trump has been a certified racist since at least July of 1972. That Kim Godwin is shocked is shocking. I'm shocked to discover there's gambling going on here. Still, whatever, whoever, whenever. This is the president of ABC News saying more than her network ever has. Although, to be fair, her network, thanks mostly to George Stephanopoulos, has far and away come closer to the truth about Trump's evil than has CBS or CNN or NBC, where the C now stands for camel's head in the sand. In a statement to Semaphore, ABC said the email was just part of the network's internal dialogue about coverage. Watch this happen now. The right-wing media eye of Sauron is being dragged into position and aimed at Kim Godwin and ABC and Disney as we speak. Also, you have to give Jim Jordan and James Comer and Trump and all the rest of the fascists credit for one thing and one thing only. Big balls. Nothing in them, nothing near them, but big balls. If your witness or my witness were now in jail without bail until a trial that will not start for months, and we therefore had to say, well, yeah, but we have this other witness and we're going to interview him and... Well, sure, he's also in jail for security fraud for 14 years. All I can think of, we need Kevin Bacon to play this witness like he played Willie O'Keefe in JFK. You a handsome man, Mr. Coma. If that's where you and I are in impeaching and dirtying up the president, we are not doubling down on the age plot against Joe Biden. Jim Jordan and Jamie Comer doubled down. From their not very subtle burner account, House Judiciary GOP, they have tweeted that they have subpoenaed Attorney General Garland demanding, quote, records, including transcripts, notes, video and audio files related to special counsel Robert Hur's investigation. First of all, God damn it. This means Merrick Garland is still attorney general. God damn it. Secondly. Obviously, Garland should ignore the subpoena and just issue a statement reading, so, Jim Jordan, consider us even. Knowing him, because there are times when I think he thinks the statue of justice in her blindfold is actually just a bad depiction of him, he will probably comply. And we can add that to the list of things Biden should fire him for, but won't. I'm sad to say this, but I really do think we have to prepare a series of flashcards for all future members of all future Democratic administrations and cabinets, flashcards that read, what would a Republican do? For Garland, the Republican would be Bill Barr. And of course, what he would have done first was gut Robert Hur's report before it was released and declared it fully exonerated Biden and issued an executive summary that was longer and more unreadable than the original and actually not released hers report until the year 2077. That ship has sailed. There's still plenty of time, though, to turn to the second Bill Barr flashcard and say you are contesting this subpoena from Comer and Jordan, and while the subpoena is being adjudicated, it would be inappropriate for former special counsel Robert Hur to make any comment in Congress or outside of it. 
and his appearance next Monday is canceled. That is what Garland should do now. Look for a window to just not do what the other party wants for purely political reasons, and also find a way to jujitsu their attempt back at them to punish them. Sue to stop the subpoena for the her transcripts, notes, video, and audio files. Write something flowery about departmental privilege at justice and the sanctity of the legal system and playing out and say under the circumstances her can't testify. Oops. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is not what Merrick Garland is going to do. So the her thing will keep the age plot against Joe Biden alive into next week which is why I went in on Bob Costas and the others about age yesterday, and Garland will not do anything to stop it, and so it will carry on like a low-grade fever until perhaps Election Day, or if Trump's dementia crisis fully blossoms and Trump starts speaking in tongues, then things change. I mean, speaking in, in tongues all the time. Still, that the larger Republican plot against Joe Biden has been truly rocked and weakened by the arrest of Alexander Smirnov twice and the no bail is evidenced by the fact that even Trump whore Larry Kudlow, who transitioned seamlessly from drunken Trump director of the National Economic Council to drunken host of a show on Fox Business, even he asked Comer if the Smirnov arrest meant it really was true that the impeachment sham was over. Well, Comer saw that big old DC 5A Metro bus coming down the road towards L'Enfant Plaza and pounced. That's not true. Smirnoff was a tip that we received from Chuck Grassley. <laughs> we investigated the tip, but we couldn't determine whether or not the tip was accurate because we didn't know who the informant was. All we, Jim Jordan and I, knew about the informant was what Christopher Ray told us. Honest, I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My tux didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake, a terrible flood. Locust, it wasn't my fault, I swear to God. I may have added something to that quote, but I did not add Comer throwing Grassley under the bus. Oh, no, no, it's all his fault over there, that old guy in the Senate. To thank God Chuck Grassley is not alive to see this sad day. Okay, back to the electoral third rails I mentioned, and I'm not sure whether Biden has to bend in some way to voters in Michigan, or he has to throw cold water on them, or he just has to wait it out. I'm surprisingly agnostic about the Middle East, but if the people being killed there were all named Olbermann, I'd be pissed at somebody too, and maybe the president. On the other hand, if they were all named Olbermann and Trump had vowed to prohibit any further people named Olbermann from ever coming into this country again, and if the writing was on the wall that if Trump regains power, eventually the bloodlust machine he will have to throw into high gear this time will eventually turn towards all those Olbermann Americans, I would tread carefully in how I criticized Biden. Because to drop the euphemism, if you think Biden is wrong about Palestinians and Muslims, where do you see Trump? I do not know when Biden has to make pro-Palestinian protesters everywhere grasp that nettle. Maybe he doesn't, but it may be his best weapon. 
Now the other third rail, Gallup poll in January. What is the most important problem facing this country today? And 21% of Americans said the government. 20% said immigration. Inflation, 13%. Economy in general, 12 Nothing other than unifying the country at 6% was bigger than 5%. The new Gallup poll at the end of February, what is the most important problem facing this country today? Immigration, 28%. That's 40% growth in a month. In a month. Now, it's a catch-all. If you think there's too much immigration, that goes into that number. If you think the fascists are exploiting the issue, that also goes into that number. But I'm going to guess here that, no, it's probably not a sudden wave of umbrage against Republican xenophobia. And it's probably not a different wave of umbrage against Trump and his little whore Mike Johnson for scuttling the border deal. So now Biden is going to have to grasp this nettle. And before he starts, as rumored, throwing out executive orders that might actually damage this nation's sacrosanct position as mother of exiles with lamp lit beside the golden door. I'm going to think aloud here and say, what is the most meaningless thing Joe Biden could do about the border that would get the biggest political bang for his buck? In other words, again, the Republican flashcards. What would a Republican do here? What stunt would do the most to deflate the anti-immigrant moment and momentum and maybe pull the rug out from Trump and Johnson and all the rest? The answer is steal Trump's stunt. Steal it. What stunt? What has he promised since 2015, like a kid in one of those hold me back, hold me back non-fights on the street? What has he promised for a decade he would do if only they, the Democrats or the Republican Congress or the devil, had not rigged it against him up there on the cross where he lives? What stunt? A wall. Again, I'm spitballing here. Maybe it is an impractical pivot. Maybe it would be too much of a shock. Maybe a lot of angry Democrats would ruin the whole plan by immediately shouting that a wall would have no practical effect on immigration and would only be a sign of militarization and hate. And they would never hear anybody saying, shh, we know that. That's why we're stealing it. Think of it as a Phil Spector wall. It's a wall of sound. It's a wonder wall. Maybe the wall is all the improvements in organizing asylum and immigration that we met along the way, that we could sneak in, as long as these morons see three feet of wall going up somewhere. Because the wall, as the stupider people in our country understand it, is not an actual thing. It's an idea. It's a bad idea. It's a useless idea. It's an idea that will get ever more useless as the climate refugees start to come. But as a symbol, if Joe Biden came up with some sort of wall idea, he might turn all the gravity off in Trump land. What do they do if during the State of the Union next week, Joe Biden announces executive orders to build a wall? What happens to the essence of Trump if his big, endless two minutes hate is wrested from his hands? The Trump mob has not batted an eye over Trump destroying the bipartisan border security deal. 
Ah, but let's see what they do when Trump now tells them they have to oppose a wall on the border. Because Trump is intending to lean into the wall again before the election. It may become his number one issue. Nothing about a wall makes any real sense, of course, but I think you and I understand that the true centerpiece to Trump's support is the unchecked virus of stupid people in this country. A wall wouldn't work. It hasn't worked. With those climate refugees coming in in the years to come, it won't work. The wall is a euphemism for Trump and his idiots, a euphemism for hatred of brown people. But Biden could make it a euphemism for organizing the border and, by the way, taking away Trump's principal word and shoving the rapidly growing rebellion in Texas up the ass of Governor Greg Abbott. Win, win, win. Now, of course, there are the Vivek Ramaswamy types talking about a wall not just at the southern border, but the northern border. A wall along the Canada-U.S. border, all 5,525 miles of it. Or if you're standing on the northern side going, WTF is wrong with these people, 8,891 kilometers, M-E-T-R-E-S. It's the longest actual national border in the world. And at one point before she recast herself as the anti-Trump, Nikki Haley said, quote, it's the northern border, too. I think we do whatever it takes to keep people out. If that's what it takes to keep people out, we will do a wall. We will do any sort of border patrol that we need to have. Last week, another right winger as crazy and opportunistic as Ramaswamy suggested one wall running from Texas westward to California, then up on the inland border of California, up the West Coast to Canada, quote, until they get rid of that prime minister. If you think this is nuts, this reminder, these people are nuts. These people are this stupid. These people are this naive. These people think they can isolate this country, keep them out and us in with aluminum siding and presumably some kind of pressed board made out of recycled Trump gold sneakers. They want a wall, even if it doesn't work. And remember, from our point of view, the fact that it would not work is one of the features, not a bug. Let's grab this. Let's exploit the wall gap between the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign. Again, symbolism. Do you remember the third wall? That at the height of Trump's first wall frenzy, the public policy polling pollsters asked one of their subtle, almost subversive nonsense questions of Trump supporters. Question 12, would you support or oppose building a wall along the Atlantic Ocean? to keep Muslims from entering the country from the Middle East? You heard that right. As you know, there is only one correct answer to a question about building a wall along the Atlantic Ocean, and it is, are you out of your goddamned mind? But are you out of your goddamned mind was not one of the choices. Trump supporters were offered only yes, no, or not sure. 31% of them said yes. 31% of them said, yes, they were in favor of an Atlantic wall to keep out the Muslims. 52% said, no, they were not. 17% said, not sure. So 48%, yes or maybe. A wall to keep Muslims from entering the country via the Atlantic Ocean. How, how, are, how are they, 
how how are the, I can barely say it. I could barely say it the first time I saw this poll. I can barely say it now. How are they supposedly breaching our present Atlantic fortifications at the moment? Rowboating in from Syria, are they? Swimming from the Hamas strongholds straight to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? Even assuming some spark of humanity and intelligence among these 31% of Trump supporters, are the Atlantic migrants getting from so-called Islamic State to Cuba somehow and then coming up from Cuba on a 1951 Chevy pickup truck repurposed into an ocean-going vessel? The more you think about this question and the nearly one in three Trump supporters who do not know enough about geography who do not know enough about construction, do not know enough about how deep the water in the ocean might be, do not know enough about, you know, life, the less lull-worthy it gets and the more it takes on a shape resembling the entirety of Trump's era polluting our nation's history. Start with a threat that exists only in theory. Since 9-11, no act of terrorism has been conducted in this country by people who were here illegally. Add to that a non-existent, paranoid fever that terrorists are streaming into this country from every corner, Multiply it all by fear, an unthinking desire for mindless revenge and violence, and a demagogue happy to exploit it so we can take over this country. And you get question 12. Do you support an Atlantic wall to keep out them Muslims? Yes, 31%. Let me caveat this. Trump has not actually proposed building a wall along the Atlantic, I think. A wall which would have to be 2,069 miles long, or 10 times that long if you wanted to be really safe and block off all the rivers and the lakes and the other bodies of water which connect to the Atlantic. He has not proposed destroying every beach and every harbor and every marina and every dock and every pier and every bit of shipping and every business and every city dependent on tourism and beachgoers, I think. He didn't say this. The people who want to vote for him said this. Wall off Miami. All of Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine. 2,069 miles. This all underscores one key point. The co-founder of the Federalist Society said that $355 million fine against Trump in New York, now closer to $466 million, was the worst political act since Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. Aaron Burr. And there was the Jonathan Turley image of Trump being told by the judge to do everything except jump into the wood chipper. And thanks again for that image, John. It's comforted me in the days since you said it. But this... And this 31% that wants an Atlantic wall to keep out surfboarding Muslims in burkinis underscores that this is no longer about the proud, defiant stupidity, the valiant struggle against mental health of Trump's mobs. What happens to them, the 28% of them who think immigration is the biggest problem facing this country, with securing democracy having now dropped to 3%, but racism having jumped all the way up to 4%, what happens to the Trump gang if next Thursday, in the State of the Union, President Biden suddenly announcing, no, 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 I'm building a wall 
I mean, it might be worth it just for the number of Trumpists whose empty heads fall off their own shoulders. Well, when I said wall, I, I, I meant one that's seven and a half inches long. Also of interest here, they are still trying to scam Trump's cult into paying that fine. Now at about $466 million in a GoFundMe. But there has been a hidden revelation in there from the woman behind that GoFundMe for Trump. And don't look now, but the right may now be dealing with another one of those moms for that kind of liberty dealios. We're raising money for Trump. Me, my husband, and his other wives. That's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. us on this edition of countdown let's continue this week's baseball spring training theme and permit me to tell you the tale of the day i paid cash to suppress a story that would have rocked the world series the most famous pitcher in baseball had gotten within inches of a fight with a fan for of his own team in the middle of the world series and i made sure Nobody saw the video of it. Ahead in things I promised not to tell. First, yes, still more idiots to talk about. The daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, worse. Axios and its founder, Mike Allen, and its reporter, Hans Nichols. They posted a piece by Nichols that feeds the Republican Biden age plot and they were then all promptly hoisted upon their own petard. The title, quote, Biden's cheat sheets at fundraisers worry donors. 
Within hours, a Tennessee Democratic County chair had posted a photo of reporter Hans Nichols at a Washington press conference reading one of his questions from note cards. And then he posted another photo of Mike Allen of Axios, the co-founder, interviewing James Comer at an event, and Mike Allen's lap was filled with pages of notes and note cards. The runner-up, Rob Schmidt, fired by local news operations in Miami, Los Angeles, and New York, and then fired by Fox News, and then given his own show on Newsmax, which sadly is not entitled just throw whatever Schmidt sticks to the wall. I mean, if they did that, I'd give him some credit for it. He had Republican Congressman Ken Buck on as a guest, and Ken Buck had to explain to him why the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas was nonsensical, which is when Rob Schmidt explained to his viewers that he doesn't understand what laws are. Young girl that was killed in the state of Georgia by a migrant from Venezuela. I just I don't understand how that doesn't meet the bar of impeachment for Mayorkas. Well, what's the crime? What, what's the crime? Yeah, I mean, you, 18 United States what about, Code. What about public what? You tell me, I mean, Rob, what is the crime? I, I think lying to the public over and over again, telling them that the border is secure. I think that should be a crime. I mean, I, th- I think it should be a crime to take a job and to exploit it for just the opposite. Is it not? Well, it's not a crime to take a job and exploit it for the opposite. But in terms of lying to Congress, that is a crime. Um, and in his opinion, uh, the border was secure. In my opinion, it's not secure. In your opinion, it's not secure. But when you start getting into opinions and, and charging people under 18 United States Code 1001 with a false statement, um, that gets very specific. And he would not be convicted in front of a, a jury. And I don't believe that is a, a, I believe it's a, a crime to lie. I don't believe that he had specific enough statement uh, that it is a lie. Uh, see, I think being on Newsmax should be a crime, but but I don't make the laws. And to Rob Schmidt's surprise, neither does he. By the way, Rob Schmidt's mother is a migrant from Iran, no less. I bet the viewers don't know that, do they? But our winners, Elena and Grant Cardone, right-wing nut jobs. He claims to be a financial expert of some kind. He manages $4 billion in wealth, which is intriguing because his jaw is actually wider than the top of his head. I mean, it, you know, forceps, baby? I mean, what, what got, got, it, got it caught in the door somewhere? She is the genius who is still running and still running ads for a new GoFundMe to pay Trump's New York business fraud fine for him. There's a lot going on here. The first ever worst persons with subparagraphs A, B, and C. First of all, they're trying to raise $355 million to pay off this fine against Trump. Guys, Hubby manages $4 billion in assets. Why doesn't he pay it? I mean, how dedicated are you to this bit? Secondly, $355 million? The last official figure with interest of how much Trump now owes the state of New York pending the appeal, courtesy Attorney General Tish James and her calculator, was $464,805,336.70. But we think it is now actually past the $466 million plateau last night. So you're, you're just going to let 
Trump pay the $111 million in interest? That's not very sporting of you. And thirdly, the amount donated by the suckers so far is $1,269,000. After only two weeks, only $353,731,000 short. At this rate, you'll get the whole amount in just nine years and 37 days. 12 years if you cover the interest. But fourthly, an unexpected reveal from Mrs. Cardone here that I don't think Mr. Cardone wanted anybody to know, which I haven't seen reported anywhere. This is how she introduces the Trump fine GoFundMe to the gullible. Quote, My name is Elena Cardone, and I am a wife of Grant Cardone, mother and ardent supporter of American values. A wife, did you say? Like one of several? Wow. It's one of those moms for liberty things, isn't it? Waka, waka, waka. Elena and Grant Cardone and her sister wives, today's persons in the world. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Now to the number one story on the countdown and my favorite subject, me and things I promise not to tell. And this one literally fits that title. I not only promised not to tell this, I lost a job because I wouldn't tell it. I am proud of my journalistic ethics and sometimes, well, a lot of times, I boast too much about them. But I invoked them once on October 25th, 1999. And if I had not, and if I had wanted to do any job anywhere, for 23 years, I would still be hosting the Fox Baseball Game of the Week and the upcoming World Series on Fox. But I couldn't, because there are facts, and then there is truth, and often they are different things. I'm covering the 1999 World Series for Fox's first attempt to compete with ESPN. I'm also the Fox baseball host, and I'm the senior correspondent of Fox Sports News. So we are going live from the field after each World Series game for like two hours. 
The Yankees froze the Braves in the first two games of that World Series in Atlanta, and then on the off day, the travel day, Monday morning, the 25th, the producers and crew flew out before sunrise to set up at Yankee Stadium, and the rest of us lazy, quote, talent, unquote, we flew out at midday. As we landed in New York, I got a call from the lead producer who said, don't go to the hotel first, come right to the ballpark. Something amazing has just happened, and I need you to decide to do whatever we're going to do about it. So I go, and as the October sun is beginning to set over Yankee Stadium, I get this story. As the Yankee players have left the workout to go home and get a good night's sleep, maybe, before Game 3 the next day, Roger Clemens of the Yankees has gotten into an argument with a fan, with a Yankees fan. At the old Yankee Stadium, players had to walk a very short gauntlet, maybe 100 feet, from the ballpark exit to the players' parking lot. In retrospect, this seems kind of crazy, but fans could wait behind police barricades and yell and cheer and seek autographs and start arguments. And as Roger Clemens steps out of the stadium, golf visor atop his head, his thoughts turning to his first World Series appearance in 13 years, his start in Game 4, which could very well be the game in which the Yankees would sweep the Braves and win the World Series, the climax of a long odyssey that has just brought him to New York that season, a fan starts screaming at him that he has no right to be there. If you wanted to come here, you could have come here in 96, but you didn't want to be here. For all I know, this is one of the guys who was yelling at Ted Cruz Sunday night at Yankee Stadium. Anyway, Roger Clemens is not Ted Cruz. He's six foot four, 205 then. He had a hair trigger temper, and as we suspected then and heard later, was reportedly hopped up on steroids and amphetamines, at least on game days. Amazingly, the fan was bigger than he was, much bigger, and the fan clearly started it. Clemens jousted with him verbally, but backed away. He then walked away and got into his waiting car, and he was about to be driven off when the fan said something about Roger Clemens's kids. Well, Clemens got back out of the car. The fans somehow got around the police barricades, and immediately the two of them were face-to-face, their noses almost touching, forefingers jabbing at each other's chests and faces. They were a split second away from a brawl. Another smaller fan tried to interrupt Clemens by repeating, It's not worth it, Roger. It's not worth it. And finally, somebody grabbed the six-foot-seven fan, and Clemens beat red, backed away again, shouted a few epithets, and it was over. It was a story, it was dramatic, and it was made for New York's tabloid newspapers, and it was in the middle of the World Series, and there were no reporters present. But it was on videotape. Yet another fan had one of those early handheld 1999 digital camcorders, and he was just recording the players leaving the ballpark, and he recorded this. And the fan wanted to sell somebody the tape. The guy showed our producer the video, and our producer verified it showed the near fight. The fan wanted $2,000 in cash, plus a ticket to Game 5 of the series. I was the only person from Fox there who had any game tickets. And the guy was adamant, no ticket. He would wait until the sportscasters from the local station set up for their live shots later that day. He would offer the tape to each of them. Oh, and he also wanted the tape back after we were done with it. So I did not wait. I said, yes. Let me round up two grand in cash, in the Bronx, in the street outside the empty Yankee Stadium, in the dark, Give me the tape. I'll give you the money. Tomorrow we'll meet here at 4 p.m. and I'll give you the tape back and a ticket to game five. 
So now we have to get him the cash. Now, I grew up in that Yankee Stadium, and before then, I grew up in the Bronx. I know where everything is. So I go to the hidden ATM behind home plate, and I withdraw the maximum that machine will give me, $200. We're still a little short. I now go to every reporter and every producer Fox has at this World Series until I find nine of them willing to do just what I did. I write them checks made out to cash for 200 bucks each, and now I've got $2,000 in 20s in the Bronx, in the street outside empty Yankee Stadium, in the dark. It occurs to me as I'm giving the guy the money that legally I have bought the tape, not Fox, me. It's my money. Most importantly, it's my ticket. No deal without the ticket. So now that it's not being sold to anybody else, just me, the producer says, by the way, when the guy showed me the tape, it does not start at the beginning of the fight. And I say, "Uh uh-oh. And he says, yeah. And I say, we got to look at this before we feed it to headquarters in L.A. Because the moment they get this tape, they're going to run it nonstop tonight and nonstop tomorrow and nonstop Wednesday. Plus, we are Fox. We own the New York Post. They will put color stills from this videotape on the front page and the back page and in a nice, colorful middle spread. This is when my phone rings. And it is my immediate boss. His name is Terenzio. And Terenzio never wanted to hire me. And I never wanted to work for him. And oh, by the way, he has not had a job in television that I've been able to find out about since. And he's heard that I have this tape and he sees it as his ticket to success within Fox. And he's telling me about his plans to get it on Fox News and in the Post and worldwide through Rupert Murdoch. And I say, we don't even know what's on this tape yet. And our truck doesn't have anything to play it on. So we're going to have to go to an electronic store and buy a camcorder and figure this out. And this Terenzio interrupts me and starts swearing at me. Now, despite what is often written, I am not the caricature of the angry employee that my reputation might suggest to you. But if you swear at me, I'm not going to get more reasonable, am I? I'm going to get less reasonable. So it is at this point that I tell Terenzio that the owner of the tape is me, and I'm going to make these decisions, not him, and that I'm going to hang up now so I can go look at the tape first. My producer and I go to one of the 700 electronics stores along 7th Avenue in Midtown, the ones that have been holding going out of business sales continuously since the year 1980. I am not exaggerating. Every week or so, I pass the exact store where we bought that digital camcorder in 1999. The store is still there. The store is going out of business sales, also still there. We sit down at a nice restaurant, order a nice meal, and we look at the tape, and the video is amazingly well shot, but there is that one fatal problem. Our amateur videographer didn't miss the start of the confrontation between Clemens and the fan. He has hit record only as Clemens is getting back out of his car. You do not see the fan starting it, yelling at him. You do not see the fan threatening Clemens. You do not see the fan swearing at Clemens's kids. What you see, beautifully framed, by the way, against the setting sun of a late October evening, is Roger Clemens just getting out of a car without any visible provocation, going over and shoving his finger in the face of some random Yankee fan in a Yankees hat. Now, there are at least 40 moments in this video that could be turned into beautiful color photographs for the New York Post. 
And everything Clemens says to the fan is clearly audible, and so too is everything the fan says back. But anybody seeing that video, no matter how much preamble we could possibly give it, no matter how carefully we reconstructed how the fan started it, how he escalated it, how Clemens backed away, how the fan relit the fuse, how this was not Roger Clemens' fault, no matter how well we did that, if you saw this video, you would say, well, no, that, that that's Roger Clemens' fault. It's human nature. With great disappointment, I said to my producer, damn it. Journalistically, we can't run this. We're hanging Clemens if we run this. This is like the only time in his life it hasn't been his fault. But this is not his fault. My producer let out a long sigh. Thank God you said that. I want to run it more than anything else in the world, but we can't. And I said, there are facts, and then there is the truth. What we have on this tape is facts. What we do not have is truth, unfortunately. My phone rang. Now it was my boss's boss, Terenzio's boss. His name was Arthur Smith. He was a Canadian. He called people things like Schmendrick and Schmoo. I liked him a lot. Okay, Bobby, he says, what's going on? I explained to him, and he quickly said, you're right, but your boss wants me to get that tape from you or fire you or something. He's screaming about how we're going to get scooped on this story when we have the only video. Give me a way out of this, Bobby. So I gave him a way out. I said, look, I'll go to my folks' house in the suburbs tomorrow. I'll make a couple copies of this video, and I will erase the original tape. Then I'll go to Yankee Stadium. I'll have a copy of this video in my pocket, and if there is a hint, a hint that anybody else has this story, I will go right to the truck and feed you the whole tape immediately, and I won't even charge you the $2,000 I spent to get it. And he says, I like this. That's a good way out. But how are you going to know if anybody else is onto the story? And I told him, look, the Yankees won't want this story to get out, and I will use this fact against them. I will use this fact to get them to tell me if anybody has asked them about the story. I mean, the public relations director is a childhood friend of mine. We will work together on this because we have facts, but we do not have truth. And he says, stop saying that. You sound like a schmendrick. So the next morning, I go to the folks, I use my father's collection of videotape machines, and I make three copies, one for me to carry, one for me to give to the Yankees, and one to leave in the hands of a neutral outside observer, my mother. And we go to Yankee Stadium, and I explain to this thing to this friend of 25 years of mine, the PR director, and all he says is, thank you. And he swears he will warn me if he hears that anything about any other reporter having this story is even rumored. Two hours later, he comes up to me. Jack Curry from the New York Times asked to talk to Roger. He's heard. He's going to talk to Roger as Roger walks back to the clubhouse. You could maybe follow them before you feed the tape. And I said, yeah, that sounds good. And I followed them. And Clemens lies through his teeth to Jack Curry and says it was nothing. And no, they didn't have their fingers in each other's faces. And Curry believes him. And Clemens goes into the Yankee clubhouse. And Jack Curry wheels around and says, nice eavesdropping. And I say, I- I'm really sorry. You're right, but I'll-, I'll explain to you why I had to do it, but I'll explain it to you much, much later. And the next morning, the morning of the day that we'll see Roger Clemens win his first World Series game after 16 years of trying as the Yankees sweep the Braves in the World Series, there is a very brief mention on page 40-something of the New York Times about the shouting match with the fan, and there's no picture, and nobody notices the story, and Clemens lies in it throughout. And the next spring, I see Jack Curry, and he is still angry with me. And so I hand him 
a copy of the videotape, and I say, this is why I had to know what you knew about Clemens. And he goes, and he watches it somewhere, and he comes back to me, and he's all smiles, and he says, how did you get away with not running this? And I tell him the story, and he says, but Clemens lied to me. And I say, Clemens lies to everybody. That's not the point. And he says, yeah, there's a difference between facts and truth. And I say, ooh, there's a difference between facts and truth. Hey, that's good. Let me write that down. done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Ray on guitars, bass, and drums. Mr. Chanel handled orchestration and keyboards, produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including some of the Beethoven compositions, arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc., Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Jonathan Banks, and everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 251st day until the 2024 United States presidential election and the 1,149th day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Use the 14th Amendment, the Insurrection Act, the justice system, the mental health system, the ballot box to stop him from doing it again while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow, the special leap year edition. Don't forget our live YouTube special after the State of the Union on the night of Thursday, March 7th. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <laughs> 